My name is Warren Cook. Today is July 22nd, 2016, and I'm speaking with Denise Coyle in At the Border Inn on the Utah Nevada line. I always wondered that. Do you consider yourself Baker in Baker? Baker's our mailing address, but we get our UPS we can get UPS from Salt Lake. So, anyway, but we're in both states. And that which has I mean advantages and disadvantages yeah but we'll get into that probably so denise mm-hmm. would you tell me a little bit about yourself and your relationship to the valley um and i i was born in spanish fork utah went to grade school in eureka utah and then went to high school in delta in 1960 my stepfather and mother were traveling to ely and this there was this little shack here that was for sale and uh, included the original 3.3 acres of ground and they bought it and we came out the summer of 60 and that was before electricity telephones TV (laughs) yeah the rest of the world hadn't got to color TVs yet. But we, anyway, so I worked out here this, those two summers. And uh, my mother had a newborn the first summer. and She was pregnant the second summer. And she said she would never come back out here again. So uh, the place was leased out for several years. And the man that it was leased to never picked up the option. My first husband thought there was potential here. I wasn't crazy about coming here because I've been... I have good memories of when I was a kid here, but... You know, I didn't wasn't really crazy about coming back and running a business, but we bought the place in 1977. It was only 39 years ago. <laughs> um, so that marriage, running your own business isn't as glamorous as it sounds. It takes a lot of work. And uh, marriage fell apart a couple of years after we got here. I left. He left. I came back to pay the bills, and I've been here ever since. So, when your parents drove through the valley, and what, what was their intention with this little shack, as you said? Well, it was, again, it was located on the state line, and Vegas was starting to take off. Vegas started growing with Hoover Dam, but it, that got them to like nine or 10,000. And then about 48, 49 is when the mob went in, when Bugsy went in, and they started the big casino. So, the 50s, it was, it was, there was potential here from the gambling side of the, you know, so. And um, actually, it's provided a good living. I mean, like both the kids went to college, and we have, on the good years, we can buy new cars, and then on the bad years, we don't. But anyway, it's, it's from a business point of view, it's a, a tough business to run because of its location. Just because we have a Cisco delivery, but we ha- I hauled in over $1,000 worth of groceries yesterday from Salt Lake, and I just came back for Mealy with another $1,000 worth of groceries. Yeah, so my job right now is trying to keep stuff on the shelves. But anyway, is that good enough? What do you remember from those summers you were working here? Um, it was really hot. We had an old swamp cooler in the bar area. There was an eight stool bar with a, a rock, like Mariah Rock uh, bar. And tile floor with nothing, that, no tiles that matched. But um, it was hot. And the wind blew. (laughs) 
But I, I loved, I love my favorite time of day is after the sun goes down. And that's when I would go walking in the desert. And then, that's my favorite time of day. And that's, I'm a night person, but yeah. So walking through the desert, holding my, one of my younger sisters and walk, and just walking, walking. Um, I remember a few of the customers we had those years and then some of them are sort of legendary now, like Don Van Horn and uh, he's a cook, art cook. Probably you don't want to know that you're any relation to him, but he was a character, not, you know. Just pretend I'm not related. <laughs> I'm sure he wasn't related. He was a cattle buyer out here and rancher. But anyway, you know, um, it wasn't a bad way to spend the summer because if we'd been in Delta, we would have been hauling hay and <laughs> chopping daughter and and stuff like that. And Delta's hotter than here. And and that time had a lot more mosquitoes and flies than it has now. One thing I like about living right here, I never get a mosquito bite. Would you tell me what about, you said when the sun went down, that's when you started to like? Well, it was. it's a calm time. The wind usually doesn't blow right at sundown. It, it calms down and then starts up again about one in the morning. <laughs> when you live in single wide trailers with Middle roofs, you keep track of stuff like that. Um, so just the quiet, just the quiet and the peace. And of course, you know, back then, you can still, you know, find places, but you have to walk away from any building to get rid of the sound of electricity. It's amazing how much noise it makes. And when the power goes out, what happens? <laughs> how quiet it is. And the well that was here at the time is the well that we bought, that was still furnishing the business in 77, I believe was a hand dug well. And we were pumping water from 35 feet. Yes. And I ran the business on that. Okay, so we came out in 77. I ended up with the business. Um, ran it burnout once had to start from scratch on buildings and stuff which was okay because they needed to be replaced and I probably wouldn't have ever had the courage to level them you know so um, but we put in eight motel rooms the first year, second year we were here and then we tried to keep the, there were trees that were some of those trees in front that are still straggly looking were still straggly, straggly looking in 77 and we didn't have enough water to keep a lot of trees watered and then after I rem after the fire and after we opened the new building I couldn't water trees and run the business at the same time so we, I, we watered it and we say we went um, 24 hours about in 88 so we'd water you know, late at night we water but anyway so yeah that's what i was gonna ask is that you know, water sources when you mm -hmm. what you remember and there was a pump house and the original pump um you're supposed to fill them in but we haven't but i know we can't well so i would guess it was probably about 86 or 87 we started pumping sand and we drilled the new well and the new well is quite a ways away from the business on the nevada side and it 
it drops from 165 feet. And before we leave, are you, have you got a camera with you? I do. Okay, we'll go take. I'll show you my water system because it's impressive. Mm. Even impressed the state water engineer when he came out to approve things. So, so anyway, we drilled the second well in '86 or '87, which kept the well on the Nevada side. We had no paperwork on that original well, and like in '89, Southern Nevada came in and filed. And we would have had no proof that we were before that. But some of the state guys that in their tra travels out here, keeping you know, the monitoring and that, found the original well log for that well and brought it, brought it out to us. So that we, we definitely have first claim. But the way the old business, when we came here, was set up and the way it's still set up is the water supply is on the Nevada side, mm -hmm. and the sewage all goes to Utah. Yeah. <laughs> so we have, so the sewage runs out that way. But when the water fight started, oh, it's been going a couple, a few years. As well, you know, when it be wrapped up in the 2000s, so around 2007, probably six or seven, it dawned on me, you know, you better drill a well on the Utah side before this all goes into effect. So I do have a well at the southeast corner of the property over here, and it, ha it doesn't have a pump in it. I've got, I haven't done my beneficial use yet, but I've, I've got the extensions. So I do have claim to 72 acre feet of water which is plenty of water for whatever would be in the future here. Yeah. And the, like I said, the original well is, is actually in the main building now. We just kept building and it's covered. Yeah. But uh, if we had to, we could, but it had to have been hand dug. And the, and the soil underneath here is really sandy. So it would have been easy, it would have been easy drilling or, you know, digging with the, yeah. like Kathy yeah. Hill and her little, her little well that she was hand dug, you know. I wonder if you remember the first time you pulled up sand, what that was like. Oh, we still had water, but you know, it was like, we better do something because this isn't going to last. And we never ran out of water in the transition time. But yet, like I said, we're down 100, we're all down over 165. It's falling from 165. So when Estale was formed, they were hitting water at 20 feet. So the water table was really high, and um, I assume that are you gonna talk to Tom Baker? I did yesterday. Yeah. Did he take you on a tour? He he told he just talked to me about okay. all his different wells. I like it. Somebody can take you on the tour and show you the wells that. First of all, you you have to drive up the Wheeler Peak Road and look out over the valley and see how very little agriculture there is. People think Baker Ranch is a big ranch, but the actual green fields. There's a whole lot more brown out there than there's green. Anyway, so the amount of uh, pumping that Baker Ranches have done and Estale has done has really affected north of the highway. And uh, I heard Dean tell a national reporter that he would be ashamed to show him this one spot. It was really spectacular, actually. He said, I'd be ashamed to tell you, show you this, but I need to show you this because this is what I did. They, they dried up a freight watering hole that was, looked like, you can tell where the outlines of it were. It was a big pond. And, the, and the, that little irrigation that Estelle and 
and the bakers do dried it up. And you can find little shells and little petrified mushrooms and stuff as you walk through the, the dust. So my granddaughter, who is, of course, the most precocious granddaughter in the world, because she's my granddaughter, but when she was in sixth grade, she had to do a project that was had two sides to the controversy and cover both sides, and so she picked water. And she lives in Vegas, and she's a city girl. She doesn't want to live up here. But we, I took her and her parents on a version of this tour, and when we're walking through the dust, looking for snails and stuff, having fun like kids have, oh, picking this And then all of a sudden she stopped, and she said, wait a minute, are you telling me that man did this? And I said, yeah, that's what we're telling you. Anyway. She talked to people from Southern Nevada Water Authority for the other side. I mean, it, it was really kind of cool that a kid would do that. And, her, and her, apparently her paper was very good. Anyway, we, we need to try it. Yeah. If, if it's calm over here, mm -hmm. maybe we'll go take a short trip because it's close. Yeah, I'd, lo I'd love it. You know, just right out the back, right? Huh? Right out the back of the, of the border and to go out to their fields. Is that what you're talking about? No. It's on the Utah oh, side. On, oh, on their ranches Be on that side. Be between here, yeah. They own oh, the, far, yeah. the fields coming down the Gandy Road. Yeah. Phil Heckethorn has one, but the rest of them. Mm. The ones on the east side are Darwin Wheelers, but the north piv the pivots that go basically almost up to Cane Springs now are Baker Ranch. Oh, I'd love to go see. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay. We can do that. And may maybe even before the SNWA filed, mm -hmm. do you remember conversations about the water table in the valley? Are people maybe from Baker Ranch and Estelle ever having to, you know, talk about, okay, well, the water table was 20 feet below, mm -hmm. you know, like someone from Estelle well, first got here. Well, the only thing I really remember is when we started, when we decided to go with big tanks, you know, not 500-gallon tanks, so we were putting in 10,000-gallon tanks and the fear that we were going to hit water mm -hmm. to, to bury them. We didn't, but that we thought we would. We we got into wet sand into wet sand, but we never and then we we bedded in bedded in that sand and it's okay. But that was a concern that there was that we'd hit the water when we buried our tanks. When the place burned you know, when you don't have fire departments or you do and they're all volunteering the equipment so but it happened during the when they were oil drilling in in eighty one, eighty, eighty one there were Drilling through that on Cowboy Pass, up on Kings Canyon, down south, and there were you know, there were probably eight or ten water trucks in the valley, and those trucks provided the water to put the fire out, but it wasn't enough water to stop the fire once the log house got on fire. So you know, so from a you know, it's sort of a cultural thing. If you have a fire, getting water to it's a problem. So. I didn't know that, that they were looking for oil out here in the 80s. That's, that's yeah, they did in the 50s too. And they capped some of the, the all these wells have been capped. Of course, they never find anything. It's like the gold mines. Because <laughs> you know? your parents bought this mm -hmm. property here, first of all. I remember, do you remember any of their conversations about water here? Mm -mm. Or, the, you know, no. or how they talked about it? No. But it was in 60, and there, were talk, there was a lot of talk about the nuclear testing in the fallout. Oh, yeah. Dugway Proving Grounds and all that. No, the Nevada test site. Oh, oh okay. Because the prevailing winds come from the southwest, and they were doing above-ground 
and field testing and every time the wind blew it blew stuff up here and there were lots of conversations about that that was the yeah. controversial thing then and was it going to kill us off and it hasn't everybody but they're the downwinders are getting the money and i have i have a hypothyroid and three three more sisters have thyroid problems and thyroid cancer is the most commonly common result of too much radiation none of us have cancer but we have been on meds forever well i guess moving into today i'm curious okay. what what's your favorite water source in the valley Oh, that would be probably the creeks off the mountain, Baker Creek, Union Creek. Why is that? Because they're peaceful. <laughs> and they flow. And they flow year-round. Baker, Lehman, and Snake. Strawberry, uh, strawberry dries up. Um, and it's too bad they're... Well, Daisy's alive, but she would remember her parents talking about it. But in the 30s, that's full time, Baker Creek dried up. And that was the only time in anybody's memory. Now, I don't know what John Sims and those people would say about, uh, like, Hendry's or, or Smith. And the flows on, on the warm springs at, Can at Gandhi, everything I've ever heard is it's a constant flow and they don't know where it comes from. And that, so drought doesn't affect it. Heavy water years don't affect it. And, you know, that's, that's a precious little spot. So it's always fun to go up there, but it's usually a hot day with all the dragonflies flying around. <laughs> I guess we've already covered this, but what, what sources of water you regularly use in the valley today? And would you say that's your well? It's a well. And when we added, we doubled our floor, our floor space on the building. First of all, in 2001 and two, I finally got... The original property was 3.3 acres, and we had used that up. And I was trying to get land from BLM, and it was just like hitting a brick wall. But I, I, that's another story, but it's kind of fun. But I got, I met the national director of the BLM. So this was in nine, this was in 2001, so it was still Clinton. And what, and the head of the BLM was Pat Shea from Salt Lake City. Are you really? He's around. Um, but I, I met him at a, a conference, and I said, I need land, and I can't get the local offices to do anything. And he said, write me a letter. So I wrote him a letter, and about two months later, I had 28 more acres on the Utah side. And then I went to Ely to the BLM to get a, fire, a firewood permit for my son. And the I immediately said, how was that meeting you went to in Seattle? I said, oh, it was great. I got to meet Pat Shea, and guess what? I have land on the Utah side now. And he goes, why aren't you talking to us? I said, I am. Go look at your files. A couple months later, I had another 28 acres on the Nevada side. The only nice. way to get things done is to go to the top. <laughs> yeah. I preface it by he, Pat Shea was head of the Utah Democratic Party and a Clinton appointee, obviously. So I started the conversation with, hi, Pat. I'm a Utah Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's how yeah. we got additional land. Then we needed more water, and we added. The first thing we did is added the RV park, but we wanted to build a new motel on the Nevada side, probably a 32-room comfort in style room okay. for our motel with a swimming pool, and we would have had the water to do that. We didn't have the money. Mm -hmm. um, 
we couldn't make it work on paper for the motel, but we did the RV park, but we oversized everything so that we can double the size of the RV park and we can add a 32-unit motel if we want to. So there's potential. Uh, when we started trying to pencil out the feasibility of the motel, and at that time we were talking, we wanted you know a national change that had, chain that had the reservation system, and we were talking to Travel Lodge, who had the most generous uh, franchise agreement, and we could we couldn't make it make money. We could get close to breaking even, and I said we're not going to go broke. Had we done it, we would have gone broke I mean, after 2008, 2008, 2009 would have done the same because we didn't have deep enough pockets to carry it through. So instead of doing that, then we, it was 2008 when we doubled our floor space over here. And I signed the loan papers about two months before the economy crashed. And then the state fire marshal came in and said, Nevada law requires any building over 5,000 square feet to have sprinkler systems. We were at 4,900 square feet. And he said, you need to sprinkle, which took the price per square foot very high. <laughs> and so we built a bigger building than we were going to and put the sprinkler system in, which needs a good water supply. And it's in place, but it also doubled, and it almost doubled the price of the project. So and I'll show you all that for you, my, my, my water, my pump house. I'm wondering when the first time is you heard about SNWA's project. In 89. And I was raising, I was married to Dean Baker at the time. And I, we were raising six teenagers. And I was running this. And Dean was running the ranch. And, the, you know, I signed all the petitions and all the protests to protest it. But I said, you know, I don't have the energy for this kind of fight. And I didn't. Uh, so when it kind of... And you sat on the back burner for so long. And then in 2000, when they started moving, everybody got involved. And by about that time, 2005, 2006, when Gary got into, well, he's always sort of involved in politics, but when he became a county commissioner, would have been 14, no. Yeah, 14 years ago. So he's been on the commission. He's been the lead commissioner on the water fight. And he's been on the water advisory committee for all those years. So the political stuff of it, he's much more in tune with, but that all takes time and energy. And so I have been staying here while he goes to meetings. And I, I just tell people I'm the cheerleader for the water fight. <laughs> I like the politics of it and the science of it. I mean, I mean we're pretty... Um, knowledgeable about the science. I mean, the hydrology and the and the biology. You know, I never knew that a uh, greasewood was a phreatophyte until water fight. And I know how to spell phreatophyte. <laughs> it has two pHs in it. <laughs> you know, so we we are much more with valid. Well, you you probably know this, but I mean, when people come in from outside, from you know, Southern California or from the East Coast. They think that the people that live out in places like this are idiots, stupid. They don't realize that they can read books and think. And Southern Nevada had that attitude. 
there were a bunch of kids that they would just we'd take the money and run. So, so anyway, when they have meetings, I I cook the food and feed them and pass out brochures and answer tourist questions about when they see either the bucket or the pipe. They move around. It's a pipe right now, right? Yeah. People ask questions about them. We have conversations, and I hand them out literature. And, and if they are really interested, the donation envelope. <laughs> so I'm the cheerleader. That's what, that's my role. I've written a couple letters to the editor. I've gone to a couple of state water engineer meetings. But I'm and I'm I'm not part of the board for the water network. That I, Abby Gary. It's too bad Rose is in Rose Strickland is in Reno. You think? Abby's got an interesting mind. Rose can sit through state water engineer hearings for three or four days and sit down and write three or four pages of coherent what happened. Yeah, that, that seems like a theme I've heard, you know, that you talked about what you know, the Southern Nevada Water Authority was expecting when they came out here. They thought money, they, they, you know, the Vegas culture is just all on money. And uh, they and it worked in same in Spring Valley after the eighty nine. Some of those ranches changed hands because people could see the handwriting of the wall and said, you know, there's not any future here. Um, over on this side, the Bakers and Cecil and Oakleberries down at the south end of the valley at Big Springs said, We're not selling <laughs> You know. Probably Dean and Ray are probably the two grumpiest of all the grumpy ranchers in the world. And just, they just don't want to talk with you. And what they have between them would be over $100 million. Dean was offered $40 million. So in Spring Valley, the first person that sold, and I, her name was Fern Hardback. Her husband had died. She, she's in her seventh. She might be in her 80s now. Her husband had died, and she didn't have any sons that would be able to take over and so she was the first one that sold and it wasn't really a ranch it was an it was a farm and she got four million for it which is they paid about twice as much as anything in that valley was worth and the first time I ran into Fern in the grocery store I went up to her and I said hi Fern I'm so happy for you and she said you are don't you guys over there hate me I said hell no you take that money and you spend it <laughs> you know but no I mean you can't blame people for taking yeah. Anyway, but the other ranches, the Swallow Ranches, and that, they were ready to sell. Kirkaby sold. The last one to sell was probably the Shoshone Ranch, but the Eldridges never sold. And now their ranch is really worthless because there's nothing going on in Spring Valley, so they're, they're releasing everything out. And the Cleveland Ranch, which is owned by the church as part of the welfare farm, and they didn't, they didn't sell. But then they were not here in 89. So the first lawsuit that we won was to open up the process so that people who had come in after 89 or who were children could protest. Like Gary couldn't protest. He's got a house in Baker, but he, he, he couldn't protest it. And the church couldn't protest. So they came in on, this, on the Water Network side and got that process opened again. Mm -hmm. And then there was another period where they... So the church has been on our side 
And their lawyer out of Vegas is really good. I watched him on the internet one day. And I go, I need a really good lawyer. I know where I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah, so it's good to have at least one power. If it hadn't been part of their ecclesiastical empire, it would have been part of their business empire. The business end of it would have said, well, we got to sell it. They're offering us twice what it's worth. Why do you think that Snake Valley... Things went so much differently here than Spring Valley. Well, first of all, there's more people here. Okay, in Spring Valley, there's not actually a community of any group. There's the ranches every five, ten miles up and down the valley, but not a not not a sense of community. And those first meetings in 2006, seven, when the valley started getting together, and I knew most of the people, but Baker people didn't know the. Calio people and all that, you know, so it was like, it was good for the valley just on a social level to get to know each other or, or meet the people they'd heard about for like Cecil, you know, Cecil wasn't one of my favorite people. Cecil Bates was, but not Cecil Darwin. Anyway, but he was tenacious and he had his opinions and he could get them in the newspaper or on TV anytime we needed somebody to do it. So, so that part was good for the water fight. It did bring the valley united in a way it hadn't been probably since the 20s or 30s when they used to just jump in their wagons and go to the, over to the next ranch to have the party. Or, you know, everybody got too busy to keep in touch. It must be an interesting process to see. No, it was it was fun. It was it was it was good. Okay, so you mentioned people coming into the border, and I'm imagining mm-hmm. you know from all over, mm-hmm. and they probably yeah they see the banner, mm-hmm. and you know maybe you're the register, mm-hmm. and they say. Okay, like what's going on? Yeah. How do you respond? Well, I say, well, we're fighting Las Vegas. I say, I say all 100 people of us with our little meager resources are, are winning the court cases right now. And I always say that our legal team is obviously very brilliant, considering they have 18 in-house lawyers and, and every hydrologist in the West, except the one that we have hired. His name's Tom Myers. Um worked for Southern Nevada Water, so they couldn't come to work for us because we had inherited conflict. So we have Tom and a retired guy from the USGS who probably has just about lost his brain power. But he testified at a state water engineer hearing, and I watched him on TV or on the Internet, and he has to be 86 then. And I thought he'll never pull it together. But once he got up there talking about his water, he was just... And then you go, and by the way, Tommy was right about that. You should read Tommy's study. <laughs> you know, so so that's, we've had that in the, in the legal team, and I explained all that. And I said, but, you know, it's the 100-year war, and we're not, we're going to be fighting it. Our kids are going to be fighting it. Grandkids. Why do you think people stick it out? The people, okay, so you, you've got the seven-generation families that are here who really probably couldn't function very well in the rest of the world. I mean, they're good people and all that, but, you know, they go to the cities and they get say, it's crazy, and they want to come back. So, like, the races and the Sims and I don't know how long. From the 50s? generations, yeah. Yeah, well, and then, like, the Gonders, there are seven generations. Uh, Oakleberries have been out here for seven generations. Right. You know, it's part of who they are. And the people that have moved in, let's say, since the 70s, when they were... So Estelle, when Partone, when the Estelle 
whom down, people who chose to come out here and and, fly, and try to achieve a lifestyle change or, or religious re reasons want to be here. And the people up on the home at on the mountain at the home farm, they were like made, they were hippies, and they wanted that back to nature stuff, and that and that's why they came. The ones that are still here like it. And they're still here, but there's no hippies up there. There's just a bunch of old gray-haired people. <laughs> no, no young kids up there. And Val, wouldn't, I don't think Val ever thought about leaving here once she settled. Her brother did, and that was because his wife wouldn't stay. You know. A lot of these groups, if they haven't been here for seven generations, they chose to be here. Is they that... chose, chose to be here knowing it was going to be a, a tough it's not easy living here. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, you've got the drives to deal with. You have the no, no medical care. You have The school is working really good right now. But, you know, my kids, until Estelle had the high school, our kids were boarding out to go to high school. So, so working with the community that way has been, I, it, having the schools working together has also been good for the Valley community. Okay, so when I was a kid growing up in Eureka, there was no swimming hole, but I remember going down to the Goshen Springs to swim. I never learned to swim really good, so you know because there was no water. But Gandhi would serve that same purpose for out here. You know, people that never get to town to go to a pool would be down at Gandhi. Not not deep enough, to, not enough water to swim in, but at least to pull off in. Yeah, that's right. Ed, Ed told me he learned to swim in Gandy Warm Springs. Uh, well, yeah. How? That much water. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was a bigger hole. I mean. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, so as knowing that water was important, I mean, you can't swim if you don't have water. <laughs> when you're a kid, that's really important. So, anyway, I'm trying to get back to water. <laughs> you know, let's say hypothetically that SNWA gets what they want and they start pumping. What effect do you think that would have on you personally and the community as a whole here? Well, first of all, first thing that happened is that when the water table drops 50 feet, the greasewood's dead. They have tap roots that are 45 feet. At which point you have dust and cheap, cheap grass. There'll be more fires. There will be more dust. People will not want to travel through this during the summertime with the hot dust storms. And they will be there. I mean, the last, not this winter, but the year ago when we had no winter, I mean, you, the dust in, on that end of the valley, it's been just desertified and there's more and more dust. What we've done to it ourselves has created more dust. And uh, I don't remember what year it was. It was about, well, it was when we were doing, it's so about 2002. They had to close the road between Milford and here because of the sand. And the school bus got trapped in the sandstorm and, had to, and was parked. But they had to send ambulances out to get kids off that bus because they were breathing that sound. 
and like Daisy Gonder was driving through it and it basically sandblasted her car. And then the next year they they had to post Highway 50 when the wind started blowing across the, the light and mm -hmm. close it all. And that's, you know, relatively recent in the, in, since 2000. That kind of stuff never happened before 2000. It might have in the 30s when this, the wind mm -hmm. was blowing over the, and the sand was going to I've heard the bit the Sims brothers, Tom and John and those guys talk about that drought. And then we had the winter of 81 and 82 when the lake filled up and the roads flooded out. And I tell people, you know, I'm really glad I lived to see that because nobody could have imagined that much water on the desert. You were born after that, right? <laughs> yeah. Seems like yesterday. But I mean, so the road to Delta, out there where, you, where they built it up, they had to build that road up four feet. And then there was water on both sides. So they built a causeway until the water went. And there was water everywhere. To get to Delta at one point from Baker, you had to go to Milford, over to Beaver, up to Nephi. They headed, headed towards Lemmington, but at Lemming, before you got to Lemmington, you had to turn towards Dog Valley, which is the, the Eureka sign, hmm. and then come in on Highway 6. It was about over 300 miles to get to Delta. We only did that once that summer, but oh, to wow. get around the water. Oh, so you said the greasewood first, mm -hmm. probably, yeah. And the, and the, and you know it is a national park, and I can see you know the drawdown from the mountain will be interesting to see. I mean, you know, once once the water table comes down, I mean the, the creeks, the streams will keep running, but. But what will happen to the, the, the groundwater? It won't be good for our, our health. And it probably won't be good for our economic lives. Whether you're a farmer or depending on tourists. It was kind of interesting going through the recession. My mother grew up during the depression. And so I heard lots of stories, but, and I think that was always in the back of my mind what would happen. And it was tough. I mean, we never went hungry. We, we didn't buy maybe as many new clothes or new vehicles during that time. But, you know, when you all of a sudden you have to stop and think about every penny you spend. Is this, do we really need this? Yeah. And we've gone through that with the Great Recession and... It could kick in like a, a for the immediate area, and one of the groups that's been fairly vocal is that group of physicians from Salt Lake City. It's a doctors' group, something for a safe environment. Physicians for a safe environment, and the the lake sand, the the alkali goes to Salt Lake. The sand from the dust from here would go to Salt Lake. And one of the points that they brought up during the, because it's part of what was the history of here, one of the points brought up in the in the environmental impact statement hearings was, you're going to be digging up all this to bury pipes. How much radiation are you going to be digging up? And will it be blowing over us again and we'll get, we'll get dumped on again? Anyway, we surprised them. The, the, the intelligence, the native intelligence is better than theirs, which you know, didn't have a lot of common sense. So. 
you know, g- given what you've seen, you know, as this conflict mm-hmm. has progressed, what's your gut feeling right now? What, what is the future of water in the Snake Valley? Well, um, we're all aware of our water use. You don't see very many lawns out here. There's a reason. We understand that it takes water. You know, it takes water for trees and lawns, so we're not... So what was the question again? <laughs> all right, yeah, you gut feeling. What do you think is the future of oh, water okay. in the Snake Valley? So I know the bakers have had discussions about cutting back on their pumping because to try and bring the water table back. I'm not sure Uncle Berries are into that discussion yet because they have tons of water down there. If the ranches go under, I mean, if the ranches go and the range is gone, there is no future. You know, I've been here for almost 40 years. And, you know, all the miners that come and go, you know, it's not going to be mining that's, that keeps people here. They're either going to move in independently wealthy or living on real bigger resources because they want to be here. If they get the water, the future, the future is gone. But do you think they will? I mean, when we first started and we were filing lawsuits, like my, my cheerleader person was saying, every day we delay it is a victory. It was supposed to be built and pumping by now. So we've done immense, really, really good. Um, the only thing I can see happening where Vegas won't come or is there is that worldwide catastrophe collapse and Vegas just goes away. Like in some science fiction movie. Did you ever read the book The Road? Mm. Oh, no, I saw the movie though. But it has to be better. But yeah, yeah. walking around in a world where everything is abandoned. Mm. I mean, it happened to the Mayans. It happened to probably the Chinese. <laughs> you know, it, it happens. It's not like it's not like we learn from history. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> God, you didn't watch Trump last night, did you? Oh, I did. <laughs> yeah. He does. He he only gave one concrete example of how to get something done. You know, when you say, I will do this, he never mentioned Congress once. He did say he would do everything in his power to overthrow the what Johnson did that, you know, religions lose their nonprofit status if they do politics. Oh, yeah. Do away with that. <laughs> but that was the only really concrete thing he said. And he didn't even say he'd go to Congress and get it done. He just said he'd do everything in his power. He never told us one thing about how to get it done because he hasn't got a clue how to do it. Anyway, I'm still bending from that. <laughs> yeah, I, believe me. Yeah. I, during yeah. the 2008 yeah. election, yeah. I mean, technology is fun. So we had people, you know, more active Democrats around the state were told there will be a call-in with Hillary Clinton and we, we could call and and wait our turn and take our chance that we're going to get to ask about anything. And I asked her about water. So I, and it's, as opposed to Trump, okay. I, I asked, I said, you know, we're, we're in uh, one of the areas that Las Vegas wants to pump our, our water and transfer it to the cities. Um, this is wrong. 
and she said, well, it's very, and she went into the very complicated thing. She said, well, basically it is a state issue because all of the state water people do it, but it's an international problem. And she talked about Spain and she talked about, I mean, she, she had a grasp on the issue and it wasn't something that anybody was going to ask her a question about back east, <laughs> you know, but yeah, anyway, I did take her, one of her campaign aides from Nevada out to the freight water pond and showed him that and it was at sunset and he just went this is just awesome it is he said does it that, again he said it was like one of the highlights of his whole summer that year trying to so I'm going back to yeah. the political side of it which is the more fun part for me um, Huntsman came out when he was governor um, Sandoval has been out here. Gibbons has been out here on the Nevada side. Herbert's been Herbert. out here. People in the two states know who we are. We've been our successes. It's really fairly incredible how well we've done. You know, we we bought years, but yeah, I don't know how many years we can fight it, unless Vegas somehow has an epiphany that they've got to run businesses differently. Do you think they will? No. Is there any clue that they will? Did they learn anything from the recession? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> the rest of us learn stuff. We quit. We were doing business differently. And within, you know, once the, the construction rate is higher than it was before the recession. There's empty buildings sitting empty, but they're going ahead building more buildings. And it's because of the hookup fees. That's what pays the bills at Southern Nevada Water is the hookup fees. So you got to keep building to have the hookup fees. How has this project changed the way you think about water? Well, be, say before 2000. Anyway, when we get political discussions going out here about different things, I'll say, you know, I grew up in Eureka, Utah, a mining town. I'm not inherently green. I think research is, you know, jobs and having the resources are important. It has made me more of an environmentalist. Um, I get mixed. If they, but I saw what IPP did for Miller County. Where they have jobs, you've got to get something to keep the kids here. So if there were, there's not going to be another power plant, but if there's more wind farms and more solar farms and that, it won't, create quite the jobs, but at least it won't be so intrusive. I don't know. It's I, I'm more of an environmentalist. I'm more, I, I never was interested in free rides. I thought Reese Woods would. I said, you know, people, people you know, grew up hating that stuff because you had to go chop it down and it's sticky. And I go, all of a sudden we just learned to love our free fights. <laughs> you know, really. Yeah. Why is that? Why do you think you become more of an environmentalist. Well, because I've seen the connections, just seeing the connections between nature and the economics of Bali. Of, I'm in the same business, so I shouldn't be. <laughs> but, you know, and the fact that we don't learn. We don't learn. So. What has this experience taught you? Or what's the takeaway? You know, from this, this you know, years of of now. You know, well, engaged. the political, the one of the takeaways, and even though I have all sorts of mixed feelings of of him as a human being, 
one person does make a difference. And 50 people together can make a bigger difference. And you get up to 100 people, you can keep them away from the door. <laughs> but, you know, for how long, I don't know. And another takeaway. We don't ever learn. <laughs> we well, don't well. ever learn. <laughs> Would you say you were surprised then at how much of a difference just 100 people? I am, I am just amazed at how successful we've been. And it hasn't just because Simeon Hushkovitz is our lawyer. He's had enough support from those hundred people to keep him. I mean, he has to eat too, but he hasn't got rich off of us. He's made his reputation off of us. He can charge other people money, bigger bucks, but he hasn't got rich off by any means. What question haven't I asked you that I should have? Or maybe another way of thinking it would be, what haven't we touched on? The kids. I mean, we didn't mention the kids in the future. But even our kids out here are aware of the, of the fight and aware of who we're fighting. And they can be pretty eloquent themselves when they either write their letters or testify, which some of them have done. So, so the and we haven't talked about the price of taking the water. Okay, so they said in 2004 there was a $2 billion project. There's no way it can be less than $15 billion by all sorts of different guys. And the longer we keep them at the door, the more expensive it gets. In a fragile economy like Vegas's, which is based on just a couple segments of the economy, this could break them. The people in Las Vegas will have to pay for this. And we went down to a Southern Nevada water here at board meeting once just to talk during public comment. And I was one of the last ones that got up and I took my granddaughter from Vegas and my granddaughter from Baker up with me. And I said, I would like you people to meet my grandchildren. Victoria is from Baker. She will pay for the, with the impacts of this. This is Lindsay who lives in Vegas and she will be paying the rest of her life for this project. I got in the paper. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So that the, the cost to, to everybody. And have they thought that through? What was the reaction? Oh, Lindsay was flirting with them and they go, oh, she's so cute. Oh, they're so cute. I don't think they listened. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Anything else you'd like to share? For... No, I might think about something. Are you going to get up to Gary's now? I have, I think he has a conference call at 3.30, so. What time is it Yeah, now? I've got time. It's 3.23, so. Uh, he said to just come up after that sometime, so. Maybe after 3.30? Yeah. yeah. We could drive, we could drive over to. I'd, I'd love to go. I, we yeah. can, I think we can, I can show you one thing for sure. It'll depend how wet the fields are, whether I can show you the other one. That's really cool. Okay, great. 